So good to be with all of you uh, this weekend as we come together, uh, just gathering together to be reminded of who God is, of what he has done, of what he is doing, of what he promises to do, to celebrate the realities of God and then to be inspired by those realities to step out and live our lives in a manner that demonstrates that we follow Jesus. So very, very excited to be with you again this weekend. As many of you probably know, if you have been around the last few weeks, we are in the process of unpacking the vision that God has laid on the hearts of the elder team here at Mosaic Church for where this church is going to go in 2016 and 17. Just kind of the vision we have uh, as a church for what that's gonna look like. And as we unpacked for you, if you missed it, the vision really isn't very complicated. As a matter of fact, God has really laid on our hearts to keep doing what we have been doing for the last 13 years since Mosaic was born. Uh, to continue to keep it simple and to step into the things that matter most. And so the vision boils down to some very, very simple things. We want to make sure that we are equipping the saints, that is the followers of Christ, to do the work of the gospel, that we are actually equipping the saints to do the work of the gospel, that we are allowing this place to be a place where people are trained to live on mission in the areas of influence that they live in. That's you and I. And then to facilitate for those equipped saints the ability to engage in the world around us in such a way that we impact the world. We want to actually impact the world. And then we want to grow that story so that we have more saints that we are equipping, that they are more equipped so that we can impact the world in a bigger way than we ever have before. So that's it. That's the entire big vision we have for the next two years is just to be doing that. And why are we doing all of this? Because we are utterly convinced that God did not leave the church, that's us, on this planet after rescuing our souls and redeeming our future so that we can just survive this planet of death and then die and be in heaven, right? He didn't leave us here because he couldn't take us home because we weren't ready. He left us here because he is allowing us to participate in the story of redemption, so in so doing, restoring our created purpose to us, to image him, to be ambassadors of redemption on this planet. So we are not gonna sit around passively waiting to die so we can be in heaven. We're gonna actively engage in mission for the kingdom of God. And we are gonna live that way. So we want to actually change the world as we have been doing. And for a church that wants to be actively involved in changing the world, this particular weekend on the calendar year of the Western Church is a very exciting weekend for us. It is an exciting weekend because this weekend is known in our calendar year as Orphan Weekend. It is the weekend where we focus on the reality of the orphan crisis on our planet so that we can awaken the church to her calling, to her invitation, to her responsibility to be involved in the caring of orphans. That is what this weekend is all about. And for us, this particular weekend, this year in 2015, is not our grand awakening. 
We had our awakening as a church a number of years ago when we entered one of these weekends and we started digging into this idea, what is this orphan crisis and why does it matter to the church? And we discovered something that we had always heard and kind of known, but when we dug into it, we realized it was much bigger than we ever imagined. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem in the early New Testament church. This is before the church had really even moved into the Gentile world. So it was primarily a church made up of the Jewish people that had experienced Pentecost and had moved out of there. And they were facing significant persecution. Peter had been arrested and had escaped prison supernaturally. James, the disciple of Christ, had been beheaded by Herod, and it felt to the church like this little movement called the church was not going to win against the giant Roman culture that they were facing. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, leader of the church in Jerusalem, therefore essentially the leader of the whole church, writes a letter to the whole church, to the 12 tribes scattered among uh, the people, to say to them, this is who we are, this is why we're here, hang in there, in fact, don't hang in there, move forward aggressively into the darkness because we carry the light. And he writes that letter. And in the very beginning of that letter, in the first chapter, he makes an incredible statement. One you may have heard, but as we dug into it a few years ago, we realized the magnitude of this statement. In James chapter 1, verse 27, James writes these words. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God our Father. Now that's a big statement, okay? James is about to tell us that the active practice of what God has done in us, we call that religion, right? The active practicing of what God has done that God would consider to be pure and undefiled. The awesome stuff that he would go, yes, that's what I'm talking about. He's about to tell us what that is. He's about to tell us what that is. That should be a big deal to us. And look what he says. He says, it is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't live like the rest of the culture, self-centered and selfish, but instead engage in those who are struggling. He says, visit the orphans and widows in their distress. Now, the word visit here does not mean to pop in and pop out, right? That is not its intent. Its intent is to say engage in their story. Be a part of their solution. Because it doesn't just say engage with orphans, it says engage with orphans in their affliction. In other words, get in the mess, folks. Get in the mess. And that awakened us to a journey here at Mosaic Church that said, okay, we need to get in the mess. Every year when we celebrate this weekend, it is just a reminder to us not to bail, not to throw in the towel, even though it's hard because this is a serious mess. Over the last few years since our awakening, we have engaged in the orphan crisis. We have watched over 120 children adopted into forever families in this church over the last few years. We have watched numerous families engage in being a safe family for those respite moments where kids just need a safe home for a short period of time while their parents are trying to get themselves sorted out. 
we have watched more and more families engage in the foster care journey, becoming foster parents and taking on children from the foster care system. As we have jumped into local and global adoption, safe families and foster care, we have gotten a glimpse of the magnitude of this problem. Globally, you ready for this? 153 million orphans today. 153 million orphans in the world today. That is a crisis. That is a giant mountain to climb. One that is absolutely daunting, is it not? And so we have to enter that mountain and chip away at that thing by adopting one child after the next so that they stop being orphans and turn into children with families. Children that belong. Children that belong to us and whom we belong to. And so we're gonna chip away at that puppy every single day until it's done. We are not gonna get that right in one generation, so we're gonna raise our children to chip away at that thing too, because that's what it's going to take. We also realize that if you're gonna step into foster care and you're gonna step into uh, adoption, you're gonna step into safe families, it gets super messy. Everyone feels like they're going to die. The children coming into the family feel like they're going to die. The children who were in the family feel like they're going to die and the parents die. So that's how that thing looks. So we realized if we're gonna step into this messy world, we better rise up as a church and create wraparound care so that those stepping into safe families, foster care and adoption have the support systems in place in community so that they will survive the journey so that we don't just take dead people out of one dead system and bring them into another dead family. And so we have worked our tails off to make that good. We also figured out that right here in our backyard, the orphan crisis sits right here. The foster care system we have figured out can be quite a frustrating system because it has a lot of brokenness in it, because it has a lot of kids in it, and because most people don't know how to handle the crisis that they are dealing with. I wanna just show you so you can catch a glimpse of the magnitude of the reality in our backyard that is happening in foster care. Here are some stats just for our state of Florida and our city Orlando and West Orlando. In the state of Florida, 2014-15 fiscal year, the state of Florida spent 2.9 billion, that's right, billion dollars on foster care. One year, they spent three billion dollars on foster care in our state. That's not nationwide, that's just Florida. 21,298 children are currently in the foster care system in Florida. Right now, there are 1,500 children just in the city of Orlando. That's not the greater Orlando area, that's 3,000. It's just 1,500 in the city of Orlando. Here in our West Orlando area, Lake County, Osceola County, and Orange County, children entering the foster care system every year, 1,190 children will enter the system every year in those three counties alone. That's not the state of Florida, that's just those, those three counties, the ones we live in, right? Not only that, but 98 children a month enter the foster care system in those three counties, and there are currently 242 children ready for adoption in those three counties. 242 children waiting to be adopted. There they are in our backyard. Now, when you look at those stats, 
and you look at that reality, and you look at the numbers of kids, there are some things about that that's pretty daunting, right? You look at that, and go, that that's a lot of children. But you know, when I first looked at this, and I saw that number at the top, the first number we talked about, $3 billion a year, my thought was, if you told me, knowing nothing that I know, there is a problem in the city, it's about, uh, you know, 11, uh, somewhere around 21,000 children, and we have three billion dollars a year to spend on that, I would think that it would be the most awesome of awesome systems on the awesome planet, right? I mean, I would look at that and go, with three billion dollars a year, I'm going to make that thing run like a finely oiled machine. It might even be better that kids are in foster care than anywhere else. Because with three billion dollars, I'm going to give them the best educations on the planet. They're going to have the best friends ever, the best systems, and they're going to eat like kings and queens. That's a lot of money. You know what the funny thing is, though? When you actually look at the foster care system, it looks nothing like that. As a matter of fact, broken children from broken homes come into the foster care system, and what tends to happen, not all the time, but a lot of the time, is that the brokenness they had when they came in is exponentially increased while they're in the system. Because the system actually does so much damage to our children because we cannot manage it and bounce them around and nobody wants teenagers and so they bounce even worse and it is just a perpetuating of brokenness despite three billion dollars a year. I want you to listen to a story of a woman that is part of our biblical community here at Mosaic Church, an extraordinary woman who has gone through her own journey in foster care and has now stepped into being a foster parent and she shares a little bit about how that system impacts the lives of children and why we need to take that seriously and get involved. Take a listen to this. So growing up as a foster child, one of the things that you go through uh, is life but in a scary way where no one really has your best interests at heart so you have to defend for yourself you have to fight for yourself and by the time you're 18 nothing scares you anymore because you've experienced everything you've seen everything you've heard everything but in all the ways that aren't good so my experience of being a foster child and growing up in the foster care system was not a good one um, between the ages of 8 and 18, I lived in 23 different placements. Um, there was a lot of different reasons for that. When a foster child is waiting for a placement, especially a teenager, um, you have to wait until a place is available and they're few and far between. Sometimes that means waiting in a hospital, that means waiting in a juvenile detention center, that means waiting in a temporary shelter until they say they actually have a foster home available. Uh, that still happens today and that happened quite a bit throughout my childhood and it was not a great experience. Um, being a foster child, especially with families who aren't in it for the right reasons, is that much more traumatic for you. I remember specifically one Christmas living with one of the foster families and they had other children, their biological children, and I was the only foster child. I remember Christmas morning seeing what appeared to be a mountain of presents for all of us. But when it boiled down to it, I had a couple gifts and their children had 15 or 20 gifts. Nothing crushes you more to know already that you're a foster child, but then just to have that message 
so much more brought home for you on Christmas morning is just a horrible experience. In the three years that I've been a foster mom, I've had 14 children, two of which I'm currently adopting. Their names are Kai and Nathaniel. They're one and two, and I also have a teenage foster daughter. I've been in foster care for about a year now. Um, it's, it's hard being 14 or 15 and not living with your biological parents. You start wondering where did you go wrong, what are you doing wrong, and then there comes DCF and a whole bunch of people whose name you don't even know, and they're like, no, it's your parents' fault, you didn't do anything wrong. It's, it's hard, and, and, and then they place you with somebody else, and you don't even know them, and you gotta stay there, you have to. They're taking care of you. I've been four or five placements in this year that I've been in foster care. Um, about three of them weren't the best. Um, they, they don't take care of you because they have to. They see you as a paycheck. They see you as money. They, they don't see you as a human being. They don't see that you have feelings and they don't see that if you mess up, you're, you're, you're human. They, they don't. But when I came to Miss Gabriel's home, it was very different. Um, I've messed up, I've done things I wasn't supposed to, I, I wasn't going in the right path. When I messed up, she didn't kick me out. She actually thought about it, she processed through it, she let it sink in so she could make a mature and right decision. You know, you, you're always scared that you will do something or you will say something and they magically won't want to take care of you anymore. And knowing that I messed up that bad and she still gave me a chance, it's just, it's out of this world, it's just crazy. The reason people need to get involved, especially people in the church, people who call themselves a part of the body of Christ, is because there are a lot of kids out there from birth to 18 that are hurting, and they're hurting very badly. I was one of them, and the boat was missed. The church, for all its glory, was not there for me. So the healing process for me started way later in life than what it should have. I feel like I could have been a more impactful person had I had the opportunity to be healed and loved on a lot earlier. When you get involved with foster care, you have the opportunity to stop that hurting process and start that healing process. And the person that these children can become, they get there a lot quicker. They learn about the love of Christ a lot sooner. And we all know what the impact of just one person going out with the love of Christ in their heart can do in the world. But if we don't jump in there and do that, that's not gonna happen. Or at least what it could have been is gonna be a lot less. So we have an opportunity to rewrite a story and change the trajectory of someone's entire life and in turn do that for another and another and another. So it matters. 
I would say to each person out there, at least start the process. It's just classes. And if it's not for you, then let God shut that door through the process of starting the classes versus you making the, all the million excuses you can make, which I did as well. But God never shut that door and he opened it and he continues to open it. And as a result of that, I'm permanently shaping my family with, with children from the foster care system. And I couldn't be more happy to become a mother for the rest of my life. You know, when I first watched that video this week and I just processing what I had just heard, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I, I am not okay with the fact that this reality exists in our city and it goes un unattended. It just sits there like some problem that we can't do anything about. And I thought to myself, you know what? I want to be part of a church that's going to look at that reality, that's going to join up with women like Gabrielle and say, we are going to go and do something about that. We are going to go and change that because we get to, because we can, because we can make a difference in real stuff just like that. I, I asked um, our pastor of uh, missional communities and local and global impact, his name's also Gabriel, so uh, when, I'm gonna go with Gabe so that we can keep the two separate, okay? So Gabe, I asked Gabe, uh, would you make some phone calls and find out from the foster care system who the champion churches are in our city that are engaged in foster care? Because I wanna know what does it look like for a church to be considered loud in the area of caring for orphans in our city? What does the orphan system think of when they think of churches that are awesome churches, right? So he made the phone call and we got a list of five churches that they said, these are champion churches in our city. We were one of those five churches. That's not why I'm telling you the story because it's not as pretty as you think, okay? Here's the deal. So after we got those list of churches, we called those churches, the other four, and we asked them a simple question. How many active foster care families do you have in your church? I wanted to know to be a champion church in the foster care system, uh, is it 30 families, is it 50, is it 100 that puts you in a category where the foster care system itself thinks of you as an extraordinary church highly involved in foster care? Of the four churches we called, all of them had between three and five active foster care families. Three and five. That means that to be a champion church, you need three to five foster care families because that means that all the other churches probably don't even have three to five active families. We have only 11 current active families in foster care. We have 11 in safe families, 11 in foster care. Some of our active families in foster care ended up adopting the kids they had. So now they're adoptive families and they've stepped out of foster care. That's a good thing too. But we only had 11. So I'm like, we gotta be at the bottom of the champion church level, right, at 11. Turns out we're at the top. That is not a good thing. It is not a good thing that our top line is 11 active foster families and that's what the, uh, the foster care world thinks of as incredibly awesome. So, you may be asking right about now, is there any good news? Because this does not sound good. We have an orphan crisis, the church isn't doing her job, the, the system's a mess and kids are getting hurt. Well, there is some fantastic news, I gotta tell you. There is some really good news. Here is the good news. To redeem the foster care system in our city is totally doable. 
That's the really good news. You see, when I uh, dreamed up a few years ago and started talking with the elders here about this idea that we could put into our vision uh, for the next decade, the reality that we were going to actually take back foster care in our city. I've been saying that for a while now. We are gonna take back foster care in our city. I said it, but I was always wondering, boy, that sounds like a daunting task, right? to go take back a $3 billion industry, to go take back a system that is so broken and and all over and complicated uh, is going to be a massive task. That's why I put a decade on it. I'm like, it's gonna take us a decade to try to pull that off. I mean, where do you get $3 billion a year? I don't know, right? But it turns out that actually to redeem the foster care system isn't nearly as complicated as I thought it was. It's not about coming up with $3 billion a year. They already have $3 billion a year. And they're doing fine. They got that money. They'll spend it. It's not about taking over the system. They have a system. Even though it's a bit of a mess, it is a system and it does its thing. Do you know what they need in the foster care system to see it redeemed? They do not need more money. They do not need someone to come take over the system. They need more loving families. That's what they need. And it dawned on me, that's the one thing we have. We have a plethora of loving families. We got a boatload of loving families. We're a little busy, we're doing stuff we need to do, but I can utterly convince all of you to abandon all that for this cause, right? I mean, I was like, this is gonna be a no-brainer. We can definitely do that. You see, the reality is if we can hand the foster care system enough loving families who are going to engage in foster care, we change the trajectory of the entire system. We change the experience of a child in the system. We move it from being a fear-filled place to enter into to being a safe place to enter into. We shift it so that a woman like Gabrielle don't have to tell us a story like she did. You know, by the time you're 18, you're scared of nothing because you've experienced every horrible thing on the planet. How dare that be what we produce in the hearts of our little children? So we're like, no, we're going to change that. So we called the foster care system back and we said to them, listen, just out of curiosity, how many families actively in a church could we produce that if we did that, you would go, that's unheard of. You are so loud in the foster care community, we can't even believe it. And I was waiting for like 100, 150, something big. You know what they told us? 25. You give us 25 active families and we won't know what to do with your church because that will be unheard of. So I'm like, no, 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 no. To ask another question. How many families could we hand you that are loving families that you would never have to turn away another teenager? We just asked the question. You know what they said? 200 loving families. You give us 200 more loving families and we will be able to do that. Uh, Gabe was with his wife, Tiffany. They are a foster family. They have two boys with them right now and they had a caseworker with them just last week. The caseworker got a phone call and on the phone call, the caseworker said, we have a what? A teenager. And she said immediately, sorry, we can't place them. It turns out we found out in the foster care system that to place a teenager in a home is next to impossible because nobody wants them. It's just too complicated. So they have teenagers constantly going into detention centers, hospitals, uh, uh, halfway houses because they can't find families that are willing to take them because the families that are in the system are in it for a paycheck and they want the simple kids, the ones that they can stick in a crib and they can get the paycheck. 
Now, that's not every family in the system. Many of you here that are in the system are not that way, but it is a large amount of them, and we need to change that. So we get to bring to the table loving families. It turns out, folks, that getting loud in our city as a church in the orphan crisis is a totally doable thing. That is a no-brainer for us. You know, being a large church like we are now, with over 2,000 people coming every weekend, it affords us some incredible things. I know large church doesn't always have all the awesome stuff. Some of us are like, small church is awesome, and it is awesome. But there are some things about large church that it affords you that's really cool. And one of the best things large church affords you is big vision. When you have a lot of people, you can dream up a lot of big stuff. So you know what we are dreaming up here at Mosaic for the next two years and then for the eight after that over the next decade? Here's what we're dreaming up. The church will redeem the foster care system in our city by throwing one loving family after the next at them until they have more loving families than they know what to do with. That is what we're going to go do. We are gonna do it as a church. We are gonna use our influence as a church in our city to inspire other churches to get involved. We are gonna set the pace so that by the time we've got 25, 50, 100 families that other churches will start going, we gotta get to 25. These guys are going to 100. We gotta get to 25 and 50 and 100. 200 families in a city like ours with the amount of churches we have is a joke. It's a joke. 2,000, that's starting to sound more like it. Can you imagine if we started talking like that? In the next decade, we will bring you families. More families than you'll ever know what to do with. But to to do that, folks, it is gonna take all of us. It really is. We don't get to sit around and say, "Ah, that's, that's for somebody else. It's gonna take all of us engaging in some way in the story of the orphan crisis. Which, by the way, in the scriptures is not a suggestion. It, it's God didn't say, church, once you're done worshiping and you're done doing your thing, if you have a little extra time, you feel like doing something fun, can I suggest orphans? They need some help. It's not what he said. He said, you wanna know what God goes, that's the way to do it. It's caring for orphans and widows. So it's not optional, folks. It's not a suggestion. It is what we are supposed to be doing as a people group. And so all of us need to be involved in the story. There are many ways to get involved in foster care, to be a consistent space for children in the foster care system. And being a foster family is one of them. It certainly is gonna take many of us becoming foster families. But there are many of us that can step into babysitting foster children while their foster parents are doing some things they need to do. It's gonna take many of us becoming advocates for those children in the courtroom so that they have someone speaking consistently into their life for them and on behalf of their story. It's gonna take many of us coming around foster families and babysitting for them and bringing them meals and taking care of them so that they can sustain the hard journey of fostering. It's gonna take us as a church community coming around people like Gabriel and saying, what can we do to make your story easier because you are a champion among us and that's what we're going to need to do i want you to listen into a video 
of some people that are currently part of our story here at Mosaic that are involved in foster care in multiple different ways and how their particular part in the foster care system is having a redemptive end to, to children in that system. Listen to this incredible video. There are 153 million orphans globally. Across the United States, there are more than 400,000 children in foster care on any given day. In Orlando, there are over 3,000 children in care. At Mosaic, we believe God has called us to get loud. For us, that looks like making a real difference in the global orphan crisis. Love Made Visible is the orphan care ministry of Mosaic Church. Our mission is to help children from hurt places. We want to be on the front lines of caring for orphans and vulnerable children, both locally in Central Florida and globally in specific communities where we have like-minded partnerships. We believe we can accomplish this mission through equipping, connecting, and supporting our local church to be a part of the solution to the global orphan crisis. We want you to hear from some of the people at Mosaic who are actively involved in Love Made Visible in some key areas in our city. On the second Tuesday of the month, the Foster Parent Association offers meetings to any of the foster families in Orange County. We've been able to, to step in and, and so that we provide all the manpower for their babysitting um, needs in those meetings. We bring lots of volunteers in that just hang out in the different areas and, and play with the kids. Uh, these kids have a blast. They always to come back. I don't know how many parents have told us that their kids ask, when's the next meeting? There's probably 20 to 30 kids a month and just recently we had 90 children show up. So the need has gotten greater. Uh, it's become a lot more necessary to have more people there because we want to make sure that, that all those kids are safe and having a great time. This is an easy way and a simple way to step in and start learning more to get connected with some of the families, to see the children for yourself. Missional communities step in. It's a great way for them to serve together. Uh, it's a great place for families to come serve together. So we've been uh, very excited to have this opportunity and to be a consistent presence with the Foster Parent Association. I remember conversations with my husband before he was even my husband in, in Wendy's sitting across from him and saying, you know, I'd love to adopt someday. We eventually did get married and we have two sweet boys, um, twins. For various reasons, we weren't ready at that point for adoption. And um, I said, you know, this is a passion of mine. This is who I am. And um, got to think of a way to like live this out together. I found out about Guardian Ad Litem um, in Zambia of all places. Came back and started investigating Guardian Ad Litem and what that was and the, what did the role entail. A Guardian Ad Litem is a advocate for a child that speaks on their behalf. They are their voice in the courtroom um, making their wishes known if if we are in agreement that that is um, 
what is best for the child. Being a child advocate, it's not an easy job. Um, and it is a volunteer role. At the end of the day, I have to say, I'm gonna advocate in the best possible way I can. I'm gonna look at every resource I can. I'm gonna be in touch with their therapist. I'm gonna be in touch with all the people involved. There will be times where I can't, I can only do what I can do. Um, and yet God says to me, you are light. You are a consistent person in that child's life. No matter how big or small of a light you feel like you are, you are a light for me in that child's life. You can look into that little girl's eyes and you can say, you are beautiful. Oh my gosh, you, your hair's getting so long. You're so pretty. You can say, oh my gosh, that picture you colored, that was, you did such a good job. You can say, I so enjoy being with you. I love our time together. All of those things that every child deserves to hear. A consistent person who they know cares for them. We were four years into our marriage and we were talking about starting a family and what that looked like and um, all the fears and the excitement that come with that and what that could look like. Um, when we walked into Orphan Weekend, we just felt like God kind of just hit us. And we knew in our hearts, okay, we, it's time to step forward and, um, and do our part. So we, we jumped on board and uh, we did, uh, I think it was a 10-week class. During which time they prepare you, you have a stack of paperwork to fill out. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit daunting, but there's lots of people to help you through. And uh, so we had, to, we had to do a home study where someone came around and inspected our house, made sure it was safe for the little guys. They ask you a lot of searching questions about um, just to kind of make sure you're ready for everything that goes into looking after children who've come from hurt places. Then you're ready for the phone call, um, which you're waiting for the whole way and you're preparing for, but when the phone call comes, it's, uh, that's when you find out who you're getting and what's about to happen. So just shortly after being licensed, I mean, we hit the ground running. It was uh, not very long after getting approved and licensed. We took a long drive out to Springville, Florida and picked up our two little boys, Blade and Xavier. At the time, they were three and seven. They have been with us for over a year now, and it's just amazing to see um, their growth and just um, seeing that the love of Christ poured into these little boys and providing structure and stability and a safe home for them. Children can actually thrive in the foster care system um, in the place that you would least expect it. They can actually thrive and do well. God's, God's stretched us in so many ways and it's, it's not been easy and it's, it's been painful a lot of times but I think the biggest thing we've noticed is how much the capacity we have to love especially these children who aren't biologically from us and uh, we, we wouldn't have known until we met them in the foster care system. And yes, while it is excruciating um, and it's painful at times to, to pour in and love these children as if they're your own children and then to have to see them um, to leave your home, it is hard. But I, I want to challenge you um, because it's not, yes, Luke and I are nice people, we're loving people, but it's not our love, it's actually the love of Christ yeah. being poured in us and through us that is loving these children. And so Christ's love, it's never ending, He is love. And so we have this amazing ability to keep loving children 
um, and pouring out everything we have because we have just this this bounty <laughs> where the Holy Spirit just keeps filling us up with His love, and we can keep pouring that love out on children. And uh, and especially even when we're even when we're drained and we have been crying and it's been tough, it's uh, then we get to come to Mosaic and we always we always look forward to our church services when we get to come through the door and I express it. it's literally like taking a breath of fresh air because we're instantly surrounded by everyone from the, the our friends on the blue shirt team. Uh, to the children's ministry, uh, to the pastors. There's, there's so many people who, they know our children. They know them by name. They, they know what they like. They know that Blade likes a little fist bump or Xavier <laughs> might like a high five or coupled it as well. We have an amazing missional community. Our, our friends there are the best. They're amazing. They, they babysit for us. They brought meals around for Kristen and they helped us just as if we'd had, a, we'd had our own little ba baby being born. They took care of us and um, you really get to see what God's God's plan for these little guys' lives is this. It's not just about us. He wants he wants to show them and their parents and anyone else who doesn't know Jesus who can see this situation. He wants to show them how much Jesus loves these children. By not just us, but so many people pouring into their lives and taking care of them. The love of Christ is not a selfish love. It's a sacrificial love. And that's probably the hardest part about this is loving these children sacrificially. And sometimes that is actually saying goodbye to them so that they can be with their family, which is actually the best thing for them. So loving that child sacrificially going, I'm gonna put your needs before my own. And if that means getting you back with your mom and dad in a safe home, then we'll work towards that for you. And in the meantime, still love you as if you were our own. Although the global orphan crisis is large and complex, the solution is simple, the local church. Families responding to the needs of hurting children in our community. One child at a time, family to family, neighborhood to neighborhood. At Mosaic, we believe God has called us to get loud. Stepping in to care for orphans and vulnerable children can make a world of a difference. Not only can we forever change a child's life, but we can also transform entire communities. Together, we can actually change our world. Allow me to be abundantly clear, and I hope you caught that in this. Stepping into the reality of caring for orphans in our local environment and global environment, but in the foster care system as well, is a very complex, difficult, painful journey. It is not an easy ride. Uh, if you are going to step into the babysitting, you are stepping into the need to be consistently involved in children that are bouncing from house to house, so they are struggling with their own internal realities, and we are used to children that are supposed to behaving, uh, be behaving a certain way, and they don't always, and we need to engage in a loving way. That is difficult. If you're going to step into being a guardian at Lightham, let me tell you, you are going to be dealing with a system, and sometimes the system's going to win, and you're going go home crushed that you could not do what you wanted to do for this child and that is going to be heartbreaking if you step into foster parenting I mean Kristen and Luke said it beautifully didn't they that you have to pour yourself out and love a child with all of your heart just knowing that at some point because you gave them all of your heart they are going to take your heart with them when they leave and it's going to rip your heart out of your chest that's the kind of love we're going to have to pour in this is not an easy journey but it is a necessary journey for us to take because we are the church that's why it matters 
That's why we do it. Because we know the gospel. Because we understand our created purpose. And because we care about the world the way Christ cares about us and about the world. You know, it was amazing last weekend, uh, little Xavier, who was one of uh, the two boys in the video, uh, got to be baptized last weekend, little eight-year-old here in our midst, and his biological father, who is, he is now with his brother being returned to because he's gone through some good stuff, was here with us celebrating that baptism, and it has been a long, long time since that man stepped into church, and here he is celebrating his little boy's spiritual journey because instead of being in a rough house for the last year where people are in it for a paycheck, they were with Kristen and Luke. And we got to see this community play a role in their story and see redemptive change happen. As much as I would love to believe that I, with all my skills, can jump around on the stage like a monkey and convince all of you to become foster families, here's what I actually know to be true. I could never do that. I don't have the power to do that. What it's going to take for us to actually engage actively in this story is that we would become convinced together as a biblical community that stepping into sacrificial love is what we are invited, called, and commanded to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to us, listen, When Christ came, he has made you new. The old is gone, the new has come. You are brand new in him. Your your, your soul is rescued. Your future is redeemed. How awesome is that? And then he goes on to say this. Now since you've been rescued, you have also been made a minister of reconciliation for men and children and women to God. So go out there and be ambassadors for Christ, being redemptive on his behalf. This is who we are, folks. It is who we are made to be. Because our God is a redemptive God, we get to be a redemptive people. And that is a pretty awesome thing. And so we are inviting you. We are inviting one another into a grand adventure of redemption saying to you, if we're gonna do this, if over the next decade we're gonna take back foster care by throwing these loving families at them, it is going to mean that all of us have to prayerfully step into fearless generosity and fearless living, stepping beyond where our current boundaries are, engaging in being fearless in the way we live, and making sure that we play some part in the story of foster care so that we can see the world begin to change in our city. I'm telling you right now, without a shadow of a doubt, that a decade from now, whatever stage I might be standing on with all of you, I am gonna get to celebrate with you a system in our city called foster care, redeemed and taken care of. I'm not gonna say they need 200 families, I'm gonna say they've got 1,000, and we're good. I just scared Gabe. He just went, oh no, not a thousand. Why did you say a thousand? Because that's what we're going to do. So before I get myself in a lot of trouble dreaming too big, let's trust God to do bigger things than we could ever ask for or imagine. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for those in our midst who are engaged in some way in the orphan crisis, whatever way that may be. Thank you for all those in our midst 
that are engaged with widows. Thank you for all those in our midst that are living on mission in the circles of influence in which they find themselves. I pray, God, that you would take all of us and invite us to think beyond our current boundaries and to dream about what it would look like if we stepped into places that would go beyond what we could have imagined possible. I ask you, God, to move in us and then through us in the churches in Orlando to stir up new and fresh hundreds and hundreds of families that will engage in the journey of foster care so that we can ultimately redeem the foster care system in our city by providing them with enough loving families that they will never have to want for a loving family again. Would you honor us, God, by allowing us to participate in that kind of story in our city? Thank you so much that you have rescued our souls, redeemed our future, and set us free to live out our restored purpose, to be ambassadors of redemption for you. May we step wholeheartedly and unrelentingly into that story, carrying light, life, and freedom into the darkness of our city and the darkness of our world, bringing it to wherever it is needed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.